from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Whoa! Best Best ever. ever. Seriously. Best clap. And in case you don't know, you tuned in to the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. I'm MJ. And this is Mark. So, another great show getting underway. Yep. Today is really special because we don't know, well, two of us don't know who we're talking to today. I decided to shake it up a little. Mm -hmm. I like it being shaken up. I decided to shake it up a little. Shake it up. You know, I think we maybe sometimes have preconceived notions about how a show is going to go or not going to go. Yeah. Um, Sometimes we do our research, and I think in some cases our research actually will give us a little bit of bias. Yeah. Um, You know, um, sometimes you don't do any research at all, and from my perspective, those have been some of my favorite shows, Mm -hmm. so I decided to shake it up. I'm surprising the guys this morning. They don't know who the guest is until the guest... um, dials in. I'm going to text him, like, cue the guest. Like, I've got him ready on my text. I'm going to text him, then he's going to call in, and hopefully the sound is going to work. Yeah, I got my ideas. So I'm going to welcome the guest by name, even though I have no clue. Oh, let's do that and is. see if you get it right or not. Yeah. And yeah. thank you for embracing that, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I got to tell the listeners, he even put, like, a little black cloth over his phone, <laughs> so you know. Can't like can't You can't even in. see, like, the area code or anything. So, again, <laughs> today's theme is zero preconceived notions. Yeah. Or surprise, <laughs> surprise. Okay, yeah, that's a great joke, by the way. So let's get on to our preamble. preamble. Michelle, it's amble, all about amble, Michelle amble. today, as it was yesterday, as or last week. Day. I mean, yeah, that's true. Actually, <laughs> I hate that. Of course, no, you don't. <laughs> um, so we didn't get to cover the other fantastic thing in the last week's episode that's going on in your life, and uh, I'm really, actually, to be honest with you, way more excited about this one than the one you talked about oh, last thanks. week. Oh, yeah. thanks. Thank you. So Thank why you. don't you just spill the beans? I'm super excited and super freaked out. Um, we're about 90% sure I have my final meeting in two days um, to cross our T's and dot our I's. So I Wait have... a second. You don't know this, do you, Mark? What I, I she's about to say. Is this our guest right out here? <laughs> Sorry. There's somebody in the space. Yeah, cue the guests. A bunch of old geezers. <laughs> cue the guests. That's great. So anyway, no, uh, I no. don't know it. Well, I don't know because I haven't been told yet. No, nope, oh, okay. Haven't. So I have been um, in- so cool. invited um, to build, uh, design, <clears throat> coordinate, and build a tiny house, which will be on display for a month at the Northwest Natural Wait for um, Street of Dreams. That street wow. of dreams, dude. In Very four months. Cool. So let's And I, I haven't even <clears throat> finished designing it yet. So let's let's put this into context for the listeners because most of them are not in Portland. So the Street of Dreams is a showcase of multi-million dollar homes. Mm-hmm. That's, it's like a dozen-ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's sponsored by I think it's been sponsored by Northwest Natural Gas for a while. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and these homes are typically at least greater than four thousand square feet. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, they're Massive. gigantic yeah. homes yeah. Um, in very, very, very beautiful parts of Portland and the surrounding suburb areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are built, and the builders who build these homes tend to be the upper crust of the upper crust of the builders in the area. So you get these super high quality, extremely luxury homes with innovative features and um, almost like 
never been done before kind of things yeah. uh, featured inside of mm-hmm. them. Tech and trends. These are magazine-worthy. Yeah, <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, then people pay probably around these days, probably 35 bucks or something $35, like that. $35, yeah. Oh, I got that right on the yeah. head. Nice. To yeah. go in and, and tour these homes. And mm-hmm. tens of thousands of people, if not more, go mm-hmm. through this event every year. Yep. Every, every year. year. Yeah. Yep. And so is this the first time that anyone's ever had a tiny house on display? Yes, that's correct. So this is so cool. Are you so you're designing it, you're you're producing it basically. Are you actually doing the building or do they have a builder lined up for you? Um I am coordinating the build. So who's so doing the building? Be, um I have I'm still negotiating with a collaborator, so I can maybe announce that later, but until I have all the okay. T's crossed and I's dotted. But from a we'll call it a safety perspective, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's one thing for me to build my own tiny houses and take my own mm-hmm. risk with right. myself and my guests. Right. However, the other really cool part of the story is um I actually don't end up with the house in the end. Um it will be a fully sponsored um house, so it's gonna be sponsored by the builders themselves and sponsored by all the sponsors of the Street mm-hmm, of Dreams. Mm-hmm. The difference, however, is in the end, um, of course, I love sponsors. Yay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't get the house. Um, in the end, actually, they are going to give it to a veteran. Wow. So so mm. the, the people who are sponsoring it, are they tiny house people? or No, they're the they're the. Street of Dreams oh, the street builders, of Dreams builders, the Street of Dreams builders, and the Street of Dreams suppliers, and the Street of Dreams source—you know, the, all of their sponsors, their product suppliers, all their plumbing people, and their builders, and their—so um, they're going to take the work. The basically, it's kind of a reuse message. They're taking leftover materials <coughs> oh, from the big in- builds. Interesting. Um, and they are sponsoring, fully sponsoring this tiny house that I'm designing. And that's kind of a cool. Yeah. That's kind of mm-hmm. a cool idea, but it also kind of lends itself to what you guys have been um, kind of on the negative side about uh, tiny houses for charity. But I, but let's not go there. I want to ask, if you don't mind, I want to ask Michelle well, a couple no, more questions. No, but that's tiny houses for home, for homeless, support, yeah. as opposed to charity. That's a bit of it's a kind of different. Hairs, but yeah. it hits it, it hits so many marketing points. It I mean, really first does. of all, that they're establishing themselves as a very sort of relevant organization, fully understanding that you know not everybody can afford multi million dollar houses. Number one, number two, they're um, supporting this notion, you know, yeah. that we can sponsor and use materials that we were not able to use in these big builds. We yeah. can sustainability. You know, it doesn't Cycling. take quote unquote take much, you know, yep. to build a tiny house, mm-hmm. and then also to pay it forward and yeah, yeah. take um, take the profit. And take the the sponsorship and take this creative project and pay it forward to to a very deserving local veteran. So, so, so as I understand the Street of Dreams, and I could be wrong. Mark, help me out here, and you too, Michelle. I I thought the Street of Dreams for each house it was a different builder. Correct. It is. Oh, it is that Usually. way. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so are all the builders contributing to your? Yes, and so that's why, and again, that's why I call it 90% confirmed. Um, what we're going to do is they're running, so for the actual labor portion, mm-hmm. um, they're actually running it through the foundation, which means they're going to collect cash uh, sponsors. So yeah, the material is going to be sponsored, by the, but they're also collecting cash donations, which is going to pay for labor and those ty- kinds of things. Because obviously, uh, there's no way I single-handedly could literally pull this project of together in not. four months. Right. I have four months and I haven't right, even right. finished the design right. yet. Mm-hmm. So. So, so then what is the, bu- the cash? budget for this tiny house? Whatever I set. What do you want to set it at? Um, it's 55000 Oh. I thought you were going to do some ultra luxury with no, all kinds I, of bells and whistles. She's used to working with. That's well, that's, a big no, that's a good is a budget. big budget. No, no, no. So I'm here's the quandary. Here's what I'm freaked <clears throat> out about. And here's kind of the quandary, right? I feel as if I have a very unique, maybe we'll discuss this ongoing because I don't want to go too far into this. I'm super excited about it, but there's so many questions. Yeah. 
I'm representing the tiny house movement, not the tiny house luxury movement, right? I, I'm, and I, that's not my brand, right? My brand is utilization, my personal design, you know, mantra or whatever. It's not going to be architecturally complex. Right. It's it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be nice. It's, mm-hmm. you know, like the perch. Yeah. I built the perch for 20 grand. No one would go in there and say, oh, I, you know, we'd be embarrassed to be here, live here, stay here. Yeah, but the difference between the perch and my, and my tiny nest yes. is, in my opinion, right. A lot. There's a big gap. Right. Yeah. And so you could. You don't have to design like that one that uh, that uh, the guy from Shelterwise initially built. That really mm. beautiful seed. The cedar box. You right. don't need to build like right. that. But you know something along the lines of what you live in full time would right. be so much nicer. Oh no, it's going to be nice and beautiful. But okay. my point is, is that it's still going to be sitting amongst <clears throat> mansions that are selling right over two million bucks a piece. Right. 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 So I don't want to try, quote unquote. To, I don't know if the word is compete yeah. or well, yeah. fit in. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I'm not going to build myself. I'm not going to build myself, quote unquote, into a corner. It's right. not going to be architecturally complex. Right. It's still going to have this, but it's still going to be, you know, beautiful. And I have a, I have a co-designer as well that's helping me with the interiors and the, you know, and the staging and nice. and um and of course it'll have a deck and landscaping. I mean, you know, it'll be displayed like the other houses. But that's the freak out part. Is on one hand they told me. Your budget is whatever you want your budget to be. On the flip side, it's like, I don't want to compete with tiny luxury. I'm not going to build a $120,000 tiny house that's got all the bells and whistles. Because that, to me, um, again, you know, this goes back to the whole argument. Is that really the point, you know? Yeah, I get it. well, there's all kinds of points for tiny houses. I mean, the, the, you know, you've got that casita thing that you were in that right. you really, really like, and I'm thinking of going that direction. By myself. the way, they just dropped their price point to eighty nine grand. Fucking mm. a, bro. Nice. Yeah, going in my direction. So, so, so I get your point. But I get your point. Out. Yeah, and I and I I would suppose that a veteran would, in my opinion, as a veteran, I would, if, especially someone who's receiving that kind of charity. I would feel kind of weird to have a luxury tiny house. Right. But if it was more of the kind that you're designing, I would feel like it's more on my station mm-hmm. or level yeah. or whatever. It's it's going to be larger than the perch. Um, it's actually a 24 foot long at this point. That's what the design looks like. It's going to be a 24 foot long um, tiny, so the same size that I currently live in. Okay. It is going to be a main floor unit. So no mm. loft. No loft. So I wanted to again make sure that I that I have there's easy accessibility. Mm, good um, point. Washer, dryer, kitchen, stove. You know. Um, Sink, shower. So it's also it's also, however, um, aside from what I normally do, it is, however, going to be a full electric unit. Oh, is it on on a trailer? Um, yes, oh, it will also be a full electric unit. So um, <clears throat> no propane, no yeah. composting yeah. toilet, yeah. like that kind of situation. I'm actually making a you know a, a fully functional RV basically. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm super challenged, very excited. Like I said, hopefully we have our final meeting on Friday and everything works yeah. out. And if it doesn't, I'll tell our tell our listeners. Yeah. But oh man, four months. Yeah, that's. I think it's concept, exciting. Concept yeah. fundraising, yeah. material yeah. collection, coordination. Well, you're not doing the fundraising, moves. are you? They're doing it. Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. Um, so but can they crew. fundraise fast enough to stay ahead of... They'll probably fund it and then fundraise behind it if they don't I make would the, think they yeah. have enough money to yeah, they cover probably. I'm hoping. So I'm in hoping. your mind, is this a uh, young vet or an old vet? Or does it matter from what you're thinking Good question. about? Um, it doesn't matter. And I don't know. Hmm. And that was the other thing. Because, of course, from a design perspective, immediately I went to Vintage Americana. Mm. And then I thought that might be a little heavy-handed. Yeah. Um, assuming that it's going to be an old guy 
is a little presumptuous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, that's that's the challenge here. Um, to I me, mean, to me, is to produce something that the people that attend the Street of Dreams are going to like to see, that they're going to appreciate, um, but yet not be like, mm, 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 you know. Yeah, I, I think there's a presumption. I'm going to have to put on my thick skin, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's a presumption that when we hear the word veteran, we think World War II veteran. And by now, there are far more young veterans Correct. than there are World War II veterans. That's funny because, see, I think Vietnam... See, I that well, same thing. Very right. old, much the older kind of veteran, right, and right. there are many more Gulf War veterans. There's Iraqi oh, veterans. Yeah. There's a lot, Afghanistan veterans. Yep. There's a lot of veterans out there who are like under sixty. Right. Yeah. So, but still, um, again, whether or not it's female or male, whether or not they're old or young, yeah. I want to produce a space that for the display and yeah. for the intent that yeah. the that yeah. the the Street of Dreams has placed an, an enormous amount of trust yeah. in my ability to get this done and my ability to produce a space that's. But on the flip side, they've given me no expectations. So none. Are you going to design it like you did your your first house on graph paper, or are you using? Yes. Sketches? Yep. Nice. No, absolutely. Wow. I don't have Stick the ability. With what you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm, in fact, again, I've been meeting with my, you know, co-builder and saying, look, I'm not putting this in 3D. If you want yeah. it in 3D, you can do mm-hmm. it, but I'm not paying yeah. for it. Right on. It's graph paper and red wine. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> graph paper and, and a lot um, of shoes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not sure where those go in the design process, but they're there. <laughs> got to make space for them. That's, That's what's important. Exactly here. Okay, right. I got to. Are we ready to get the yep, surprise hold guest on. in? All right. Here we go. Yeah. Hold on, I can't even type it. Uh, hmm? R E A D Y send. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Oh look, sitting here I just got another booking on my Airbnb. Nice. Very nice. Yay. That's a cool thing, by the way. Your phone bings and you make money. Making money. I was I like just gonna that. say yeah. making money without putting yeah. effort into it. That's yeah. good. Oh, making money. What are you eating over there? <laughs> no, right? I was putting away the Where wrapper. Put- oh my god. It's all done. <laughs> So you think? What do you think about a main floor unit? Good. good oh. Okay. <clears throat> can our listeners hear that? They can hear. Well, I it think they matter. can hear. So I'd like to welcome to the show. Rick McNerney. Ah, uh, good guess. Oh, oh nice. Okay. Fantastic guess. <laughs> okay, so I blew it. You did blow it. But it was a good guess. It was a great well, guess. Well, it was so logical because. Um, so. Um, Rick McGurney, as our listeners might may know if they've been paying close attention, is our sound engineer. Uh, what they don't know, however, is that he also has a tiny house. So it was a logical assumption for you to mm-hmm. think that I would invite him because he doesn't require the preamble. Right. That's right. Think that too. <laughs> He's probably heard it <laughs> yeah. too many times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And he and I were joking that just in case we totally fuck up the the sound, he's like, I know a guy that can fix it. (laughs) Rick, are you there? I I am here. I I don't know how much I can fix, but uh, (laughs) I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to the show, Rick. It's a pleasure to have you. And, you know, in, in reality, you've been with us ever since you started with us. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show, if not novel because usually i'm listening to you guys not in real time so um if i sit here and think for a while like i normally do when i'm listening to the show i'll try and try and answer quickly so we don't have dead air that i have to edit out later (laughs) (laughs) that's true you're gonna correct all the errors of this show (laughs) and the voices in the heads that keep going what a bunch of dumbasses (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so, um, so when we first met you, I think you were in a kilt. Yes, is that right? Mm-hmm. Standing in a field. Are you still running at- after us with your girlfriend? Yes. <laughs> Are you in a kilt now? I I am wearing plaid, but I'm not in a kilt. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, so so we're gonna get right to it because uh, you're not here to do the sound engineering on the show. You're here to talk about your tiny house. So what's going on with the tiny house? Sure. So. Um, we are really close to the end, which is exciting. Um, we had some challenges with some suppliers for uh, actually getting the insulated chimney pipe for a pellet stove. For the um, we're using a we have a Kim- Kimberly wood stove that we're putting in the house, and so that was sort of the last piece of the puzzle was just getting the right um, the right fittings so that uh, the house is safe and that the tiny house doesn't become a tiny bonfire. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, <laughs> that's the, that's the last, the last step that we're, that we're working on right now. And Expensive uh, the next, yeah, yeah. <laughs> human s'mores. Yeah. yeah. And the, the next big adventure is um, we're spending all of, um, uh, I can't talk about months because this will come out later. Um, <laughs> See, no preamble required. <laughs> right. For the next couple months, um, we were uh, we've been talking to folks in um, upstate New York to uh, find some people that are amenable to having us put our little house there. The house is I don't know if if I guess everybody knows where we're having it built, but the listeners don't know. So Liberation Tiny Homes is who's building our house. Uh, and we've been working really closely with James. He's been fantastic, putting up with the eccentricities of a of a self made architect and sound engineer, um, <laughs> and whose wife is a uh, structural engineer. So, um, in between trying to build a house or a bridge, we weren't quite sure what we were doing sometimes, but, <laughs> but we right. we got it we got it all done. So um, wait a minute. Yeah, quit, so we're side note. Yeah, I have ahead. a contact for you in upstate New York. Um, so I'll circle back with you afterwards. So for house placement. Oh. Yeah, so Fantastic. there's a, actually there's a, a ski resort in upstate New York. Um, they are thinking about putting on a tiny house event, mm. and I met them mm. in Florida. They reached mm. out to me a few weeks ago. Um, they're they're you know inviting speakers and mm-hmm. they're putting together and they're thinking about putting up a village wow. um, up there by the ski resort. Cool. Um, Very nice. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, I I much appreciated. It might be too far north but because uh, yeah. I'm still going to be working in working in Queens but um, uh, I'm, I'm always pushing towards if anybody wants to hire me to let me work wherever I want in the world please <laughs> let me know um, <clears throat> I, I can learn how to do just about anything um, so, <laughs> so, what, do you, what do you currently do for work uh, so I work for for uh, JetBlue Airways um, what do you so do I that? actually I'm the manager for mobile products. So um, I manage the team that builds apps for smartphones. So everything, if you're only the customer facing piece, I have um, some colleagues who do all of the internal apps that our crew members use. But um, I run the team that does all of the uh, sort of work from a user experience standpoint, um, design, et cetera. I do all of that type of work around uh, user experience, looking at complaints that come in from the app store, um, making sure that uh, the app doesn't crash, all of that good stuff, and working with our internal teams to make sure that customers can do things like book flights or check into flights, get boarding passes, all of that. 
So um, most of my day is spent looking at flat things. So it was a lot of fun to, to design a house um, because it is not, it, it's it's not on a screen anymore. It's actually um, it's it's not very tiny. It's 28 feet long. So it's a big tiny, but uh, it's it's a real physical thing, which is has been a pleasure. I like building things in any scale. So mm. outside of the, the work for JetBlue. I also build, um, rebuild mopeds from the 70s and still work as a musician and, and uh, try and keep my hands in as many things as possible. Very cool. Mark and I talk about that a lot. The difference between, because my real job, all I do is send emails and do spreadsheet shit. Um, so Mark and I talk, Mark, my boyfriend yes. and I, I, yes. I talk about that a lot. About I Alzheimer's uh, concern. <laughs> <laughs> about how really rewarding it is to take this picture in your head and create a 3D you know, version. Yeah. A literal li- living, breathing mm-hmm. version. So, so uh, Rick, how did you uh, get in, how did you come into your interest of tiny houses? So I um, was the, I think the opposite of a tiny house person for a long time. I used to flip houses hmm. amongst my many various jobs. Um, so in doing that, I, I'm um, from the Western Pennsylvania area originally. And uh, living in the Pittsburgh area, you know, had outside of the home that I lived in, also had a recording studio that I ran and worked at a performing arts high school. So I had performance spaces there that I took care of. So I was actually had a lot of stuff and a lot of various places to put it. And it was uh, after living in New York, um, my wife and I have been here almost 10 years. And uh, after living here, um, it was an instrument that I bought that actually was the thing that sort of tipped me over the edge and made me start thinking the other way around. I got a, um, an acoustic guitar that I was had been waiting for um, and sort of just been putting money down on it, a little bit of money over time, probably took a, several years to, to pay it off before it just appeared. And whenever I got it home, I was very excited. And then my wife came home and saw me sitting on the couch looking confused. And she's like, what's wrong? And I said, I don't, I have all the stuff I want. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. <laughs> I've actually, <laughs> I've got all the stuff. And uh, she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, this was the last thing on my sort of list bucket list. I live in New York City. Um, I have all the toys I want. Uh, I don't know what to do do next. Um, and she's like, well, you know, you're still building motorbikes. And I was like, yeah, but, I, you know, I build one of those and then play with it. And when I'm done, I sell it and then I build another one. So that's sort of a, a cyclical thing. I said, I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing here um, or why I have a job. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I, I then started down the path of assessing, you know, um, what I what I would like to be doing. And, and you know, the folks I work with are fantastic. I, I really can't say enough positive things about um, the people I work with and my employer. They're great. But, uh, you know, at the same time, um, I'm a neurotic artist um, trapped with a day job. So um, I think that I spent a lot of time figuring out what I wanted to do and what I wanted to do was actually work less and create more mm-hmm. and realized that uh, I was working super hard, which everyone, anyone who's ever lived in New York City and those who still do um, can attest to. This This is the, the one of the hardest working areas I've ever been. And, uh, you know, the cost of living is very high. 
um, the, the amount of time that you invest in your career, if you want a career, is pretty encompassing. So you find that most of the people here, um, they have a hobby as opposed to hobbies. Yeah. Um, and they have a career and a family um, if they chose to go the family route. So it's a very different, very different than, you know, coming from, from rural Pennsylvania where I'm from, where everybody did everything, um, not necessarily because they wanted to, but because there was no one else around. So, uh, you know, you learned how to do all sorts of things and people were, had a little more time to be more broad because, you know, they owned a plot of land or they were farmers and farmers are pretty, pretty handy and, and resourceful at doing things themselves just to, to save dollars. So I started realizing that I wanted to work less and use all of this stuff I had. But at the same time, I realized how much the amount of stuff I had amassed in my uh, my years on this planet had um, started to own me instead of the other way around. So I was spending a, a lot of my time making sure, you know, thinking about, do I have the right insurance? What happens if there's a fire? Mm-hmm. Um, is it safe? Did I lock the garage whenever I left it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I started thinking about building fortresses to protect all the mm. stuff that I collected. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so in the interim, I had always loved watching the, the Tiny House Nation show because I always built things. Um, my wife teases me that I'm constantly trying to build a new box. Um, so <laughs> to put more stuff uh, in. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I, you know, a, a relaxing weekend for me is organizing my garage. Um, so <laughs> um, I'm, I'm always amazed at what you can fit in the ten pound bag. Um, so <laughs> the uh, so I, I started looking at you know what I had and what was superfluous and realized how much. I had um, sort of in what I dubbed friend storage. So um, I had everything you need for a recording studio and, and uh, had a live sound company. And all of that is in a friend's house. Other musicians who are friends of mine in Pennsylvania were kind enough to, to lend me their basement and attic. So I've got things there. I've got stuff at my parents' house. I have a one-car garage here that I share with friends where I build bikes um, and then we've got a, a one bedroom plus apartment in Brooklyn that's, that's um, pretty much every closet is full of something. <laughs> um, so I started looking at that and realizing how much of it I never took out, I never used. Started thinking about the things that I had that I would like to use that I don't have time to use. And so uh, in thinking about the show and thinking about building boxes, I realized that uh, I wanted a smaller box with uh, less stuff in it and um, uh, started reading about minimalism and like capsule wardrobes and things like that. And in parallel with sort of that reading, um, got really into, since I work for an airline, um, and it's funny, I work for an airline, I do not particularly enjoy traveling because I hate packing because I always for- felt like I was forgetting some stuff that I was going to need. Mm. And so I started down the path of sorting myself out to pack everything down to one 26 liter backpack. And that was all I would need, whether I was gone for a day trip or for a year trip. And once I figured out how to live in that bag, then I said, okay, this is all I really need from a clothes and work perspective and to be able to go on an adventure in, you know, Europe or somewhere else in the United States or in the Americas. Uh, Now that I've got that figured out and down to one backpack, 
how do I do that with all of the things that I want to do? And, and I, I, I backpack, I fly fish, uh, I play paintball, I ski, um, I mountain bike. <laughs> um, I do a lot of things. So I started thinking, well, how do I start distilling all of these down? And um, in the interim of sort of that distillation process, well, my wife was looking at me wondering what the guy who always wanted to buy a new toy was doing as he was getting rid of toys on Craigslist like mad. <laughs> um you know, told her, I said, I really like looking for something small. And, and, uh, uh, she was the one who said, well, you watch this tiny house show. Um, I don't think it's that crazy at all. And I, I was like, yeah, I just, I don't think that we could do it because I don't know that I could give up being a, a sound engineer and, and musician. And I just hadn't seen anything that really, uh, where I thought that would work in a small setting. Ignoring the fact that the the space where I'm talking to you right now is my mixing suite in my apartment, and this room is probably eight by ten. It's <laughs> so, bigger than our studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't. I for some reason I wasn't thinking about how small our apartment was, and still being able to do that work here. Um, and then it clicked. There was a tiny house uh, nation show where they had um, a couple where she was a. I think she was a, a prenatal nurse and he was a producer and so they oh, built him yeah, sort of an that, yeah. audio loft mm -hmm. right and that was and and the funny part was i saw that while flying somewhere on JetBlue because i we don't have cable <laughs> <laughs> and uh, JetBlue has live tv there's uh -huh. my there's my airline plug um, <laughs> um but uh uh flying um for work and just happened to stumble upon it and was like, wait a minute, maybe I can do this. So then the next thing was I needed to get in one. So uh, there's, um, I can't think of Brittany's last name, but she has the Bayside Bungalow in Yonker. Olympia, Washington. Yonker. Brittany Yonker. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And um, so stumbled upon her in Airbnb while I was on a mad search to find a, a tiny house to stay in. And, um, I forget the exact size of hers. I think it, I think it's 18 feet, but, uh, my wife and I went and we took a 4th of July holiday there and, uh, love, I, I'm, I'm from the Pittsburgh area. So I like rainy overcast days. So <laughs> love Olympia, Washington. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, I was like, this is awesome. I, I'm used to living in a rainforest. New York is too sunny. Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, my, my wife will vehemently argue with that. She's a sun person. Um, but uh, um, went and stayed there for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, came back to New York, walked into the door of our apartment, looked at my wife and said, our apartment's too big. Um, and and so she's, she has a totally fascinating background. I'm, I'm you know, I'm from a, my, my dad's a surgeon and my, uh, is a retired surgeon. Um, and my mom's a nurse and, uh, I grew up in, you know, a four bedroom house with two car garage and a big backyard. Um, pretty standard, standard Americana borderline McMansion, but it was before the McMansion craze. And, uh, uh, my wife on the other hand was born on a house bus that her parents converted that wow. they chopped the top off of. And so she grew up in a tiny house before we were calling them tiny houses. Mm -hmm. And bus. so, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was cedar, cedar, uh, shingle siding, shake siding on it. And I always saw the pictures of her as a kid and just thought she lived in a craftsman 
style home and didn't realize that it was it was a bus. Um, her, you got to zoom uh, out that photo a little yeah, bit more yeah, yeah. and see what yeah. she's standing in front of. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So uh, you know, she she was literally delivered by her dad on the bus at the foothills of the Cascade Mountains. Wow. So um, you know, she she was like, sure, <laughs> let's, let's do it. It's interesting psychologically, right? So he cycle. So he grew up in you know mainstream America. Yeah. And right, yeah. immediately sort of launched and then started collecting stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. And then yep. she grew up in a tiny environment, but mm-hmm. still seemed to sort of hang on to that, um, hang on to that notion that, you know, we don't need all the stuff. Seems like she's not been a huge supporter of your collections. No. <laughs> and isn't that interesting? Because we would almost you would almost expect people to do the opposite. Or maybe it's like that theory of your parents. Either you're just like them or you're completely opposite. Right, like right. either you right. embrace what they were trying to accomplish in raising you, or you think that's just bullshit and go mm-hmm. do your own thing. Both of you um didn't go the you know, you sort of embraced and, and your authentic roots, shall we say, mm-hmm. right? Is that is that yeah. an accurate statement? I think I think we've both been the one similarity between our parents, you know, my parents were, were um, I like to call them '60s Republicans because they're they're not racist or uh, um, that's a great elitist moniker. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I like to clear that up right off the bat. Uh, they are they are socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, the way know, Republicans Le- should be. Mm, yeah, and and uh, Leah's folks are. Uh, we were discussing that we thought that folks um, on welfare, we should create programs to help to create tra- training programs so that they could go and get jobs um, and sort of help an education system. And, th- and that got um, uh, Leah's mother's husband called her a fascist for that comment. Which we thought was hilarious. Um, so so uh, somehow we're, we've en- ended up right in the center. But her her folks are very much, you know, they they were they were living off the grid in national parklands and things like that and, and very much looking at, at sort of the hippie way of life then. Um, they've, they've sort of got a very different view now, but they're still very liberal. And I think the biggest similarity between both of our families was the idea that, um, you know, we were given tools to learn how to be individuals mm-hmm. and make our own, our own decisions. And I think that's a real tribute to both of our folks. So they got there in different ways. You know, I... I I got a small allowance, but compared to, to the other kids I went to high school with, I, I got nothing. Um, huh. And so if I wanted something, I had to go and get a job and work for it. Um, and Leah's family didn't have much because her dad was a skilled laborer. Um, and her mom had a program, created a, a children's music program. So they very much were in a very different um, economic uh, strata than my family was. And so uh, they... She didn't have a lot growing up, and she really didn't miss it. So I think I think there's a, a notion culturally that like capitalism wants us to all be stuff people, and I think the problem is that there's no cap on the amount of stuff. <laughs> so yeah. you know we we think that happiness is attached to the stuff, and and um, I think one of the things that that's been interesting as it sort of evolves because I'm always reflecting on how the heck I got here is that. Uh, my folks were very much not about amassing large amounts of things, but it was always everything you needed the right equipment for. So like if you were going to go 
um, whenever I started playing, playing guitar, um, I had, my dad gave me the one that he had as a kid. And then at one point, you know, I said, well, I've done all this research and I found that this bright blue pointy headstock thing, um, is, <laughs> is, uh, is going to be easier for me to play. It should break strings less frequently. And, you know, I had to basically have this sales pitch to my folks of like why I wanted to do this and why it was the right decision and present my research for why it was a good buy and, you know, sort of think of how that and then how that would work. And my folks were like, okay, that's good. You need one, right? <laughs> um, and I was like, sure. Um, and at one point I had 27, but that I also had a recording <laughs> studio. So <laughs> that's a, that's a diff- uh, the recording studio was a good excuse for buying lots of things. But uh, it was very much this idea of finding quality craftsmen built tools that will last you for a long time. Um, and so as I've been paring down, it's been it, the hardest part has actually been accepting that there's some specificity of things that I have that I don't particularly need where, you know, I have like the perfect screwdriver for working in electronics because I also do that type of work. Thankfully, that's small. Um, but, um, <laughs> Everything about but, electronics is small. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, at one point, I think I had three or four different soldering irons because they work better in different different metals and things like that. Now I have one that you change the tip on based on what you want to do. So, you know, there's been this sort of distillation down to find the tools that'll last me for a long time. Um, you know, I'm down to, I think I have seven, seven instruments and they're all very unique in what they do and there's really no overlap in between them. So they sort of fit any scenario I'd need to be uh, working in as a musician. And then I've realized I've accepted that if I need something beyond that, like say I, I uh, got a gig where I needed to play upright bass because um, I play just about anything with strings. I don't own an upright bass, but I have a lot of friends who have upright basses yeah. who I could borrow one from or um, uh, in New York City, especially you can definitely rent one. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it starts, I had to turn the model around and realize like, yes, if I had an upright bass, it would be wonderful. But in order to have that upright bass, I need to keep working 60 hours a week. And then I'll never have time to play that upright bass in the first place. (laughs) It's an interesting um, theme that we've, this conversation, you know, it's an interesting theme um, that we've heard before. Well, yeah, Yeah. I'm curious as to how you, with all the things that you do, how do you find time to work 60 hours a week? (laughs) I don't sleep a lot. Um, (laughs) uh, I mean, it, it, I think a lot of work is fluid. Um, because that that whole sixty hours isn't all isn't all in the office. I think one of the things that we don't think about in modern culture is that if you're passionate about anything that you do, it sort of follows you around. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you, you don't ever put it down. And so um, every time I'm you know using my own iPhone or, or watching somebody use a phone on a train or um, <clears throat> watching people interact with technology, my brain's going, oh, well, why are they doing that? Or uh, how, how did that work? So I, I'd say, you know, 10 to 20 hours of, of, of work is really train rides home, watching people and observation and sort of um, I, I'm always reading articles on uh, technology to stay ahead of the curve. Um, I just got back from Mobile World Congress, which is a big um, convention um, it's the, the biggest uh, mobile technology convention in the world. I try and go once a year. Um, and those were that was a rough week. I actually have a cold now because of it. Um, but uh, 
I think that, um, you know, that 60 hours to be fair, 40 of it, I'm, I'm in an office, um, in meetings and, and, uh, having conversations and sending emails and, and talking to developers and, and working with my team. Um, cause really it's, this is the, the product that we put out isn't mine. It's, it's a, a team product. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, um, I think the ability to keep improving and absorb criticism, um, which you get a lot of when you work for a, for a public company and be able to fold that constructively. Cause sometimes, you know, most of the reviews that we're going to get say on an app are the app didn't work the way they wanted to. And they're, they're upset. Yeah. And so they're going to fire off, you know, they're like one star, you suck. Um, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) No uh, constructive details. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're actually working to put some tools in place that, um, when they are upset, (laughs) no, no, I I mean, I, I'd rather them, you know, to be completely honest, I'd rather them shoot me an email and go, this didn't work. And here's what I was doing. And I'm really mad. And I could be like, I can, let me get this fixed for you. And do you have more time to talk about this? Cause I want to figure out what went wrong. Yeah. Um, because then I can sort of solve it. I yeah. think we're, we're people have been trained in, in the modern era about, uh, you know, Twitter rage. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, they, it's that moment of everything went wrong. I'm, uh, I'm trying to get through the airport, which is super stressful already. Yeah. And your stupid app didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I didn't know who I'm supposed to talk to, and it, especially if it's someone who's using the app for the first time, and they maybe fly once a year. Yeah, like that's that's brutal. And yeah. they're 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 in a place where you know the TSA is is uh, not super friendly. They're frisking they're, they're, them right now. Not super friendly. Right, they got yeah. their hands in places that shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know those. I, I'm sympathetic to those folks mm-hmm. um, too because we work with them. We work hand in hand with them, but. Mm-hmm. It's it's a hard job. They don't get a ton of training. They couldn't and, pay um, me enough. Yeah, no, there's no way. No. You could not pay me yeah. enough money to do that job. Yeah. No. It wouldn't yeah. be possible. Yeah, I agree. And so, so I think you know, um, I think a lot of it is is of that work is sort of absorbing all of those. But at the same time, um, I'm I'm gonna hopefully no one from work is listening. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, hopefully they are. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you're um, telling a good story about your work. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I think that, um, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm working on a project for solving a problem in the mobile 2D world, um, I think of things that are problems that I'm dealing with in a 3D way, either in something I was trying to solve for in the house as we were, you know, we designed the layout and came up with every crazy idea uh, that's in our our tiny house um, or I may think of, of something as a better way to mount the engine on the bike that I'm building or something else. So to me, work and creativity are very fluid. I think the, the thing I struggle with the most is actually being in the office. I bet. Um, because that's not the way my brain works. Um, I'm not a, like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in the studies that say you put someone in an office for eight hours, you really only get four solid hours of work out of them. Well, that's, um, that's why I was asking the question I asked, like, how do you find time to put 60 hours in at work? Because it seems like you're, where you're oriented is every other thing mm-hmm. in your life. Sounds yeah, familiar? I, yeah. You know anybody yeah, else yeah. who's like that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, um, I'm open to opportunities, Perry. Um, so, <laughs> um, uh, but my wife said Portland's too rainy for me to move there, just FYI. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, 
Um, but uh, uh, I think that uh, for me, it's it's just a matter of I, I'm probably putting in 60 hours a week on everything that I'm interested in. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just how they all overlap on, on top of each other. I probably should get some more sleep. Um, <laughs> but uh, As long as it doesn't I, mean you can't do the engineering for our show, <laughs> let's make sure that part of your hobby doesn't drop off exactly. the bottom of the list because right. we yeah, don't that, know what we'd do without you at this point. Well, it, it's, it, you know, it's been a blast. It's nice. I, I like that I get to, to preview the shows beforehand, and, and I would have never found James if it wasn't for you guys um, interviewing with him because I was actually struggling to find builders in the area. Now there's a whole bunch that I've, I've tracked down. Um, but, uh, it was actually mixing the liberation tiny house, um, podcast, tiny house, podcast, podcast. I'm not sure how that's supposed to work. <laughs> liberation, tiny house, tiny house, podcast. podcast. <laughs> um, so, uh, the, um, uh, the, uh, that, that was the first person that, you know, was listening to him speak and was like, this guy's head is where my head is. And, and then going out and meeting him. Really it's a public found service a, we do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. And it and it was, you know, he's he's very much a, a kindred spirit um with myself and with Leah. Um we've I think we've got a really awesome working relationship and, and um hopefully in the future you may see some stuff that we collaborate on. Because he's got I mean, they're growing um and uh the work that they've done with us was a lot of custom work because <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have yeah because I have a lot of crazy ideas um, <laughs> at, at one point there may have been some designs to make the whole end of the house go up and down um, so and then reality and uh, gaskets and seals sunk in because I know how much engines leak and they're not supposed to um, so just imagine a house that's not supposed to move <laughs> exactly yeah exactly yeah yeah uh, some, sometimes my own creativity is my worst enemy, but, um, it's been, um, you know, a blast mixing the podcast. Um, it's fun. I'm not sure if some of the ones where I've done silly things like put in, put in sound effects and things like that have rolled out yet. I think one of them has, um, where I beeped out someone's name. So every once in a while I get to do, get to do something silly on my end. We love um, it. We love it. We yeah. really do. Yeah. So, so Rick, um, really appreciate it. It's funny. This is, I think this is maybe one of a very f- small handful of shows where Mark has given us the five minute um, <laughs> time limit. And, and, I, and I was shocked by it because the time has just flown by. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you so much for all you do that makes us sound so great. And yeah, sure. It's a pleasure. Oh yeah, it's a pleasure. He's over gonna here fuck too. with your voice right there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Tiny House listeners, you, uh, we've got this was a very special show for us. Mm-hmm. I think it was mm-hmm. very. It was like talking with someone we've known for years. Um, hopefully, you found it as interesting as we certainly did. And uh, tune in next week because we're going to have another. <laughs> I was like, where is that coming that from? Yeah. <laughs> what was that? I can't, I don't know. I'll try and fix it. <laughs> <laughs> that was Michelle, I think, doing a down the toilet drain. Yes, we're going to flush the episode. Another one down the drain. Another one flushing. <laughs> oh, my word. Another one bites it. That's yeah. what you do. You should do when you're all done, right? Yeah, that's we're right. All done? That's right. You flush the toilet. He was talking sound effects. He was talking sound effects. I could not, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. I have that sound effect on my phone because I tell people that when they use my composting toilet, if they they really miss that, 
um, flushing noise, then I show them the app, and then they can, you know, get that. Have their own. <laughs> Have their own. <laughs> You're so crazy. <laughs> it's customized. There's like 14 of them. Maybe I'll share future ones later. Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right, Tiny House <laughs> listeners, that was out of the blue. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week. We're going to have another great show. Bye. Namaste. Our apologies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>